Heyo everyone, welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 104 through 106, which will cover manga chapters 167 through 170. And yes, we're finally back on our normal podcasting episodes and things are starting to heat up as the Straw Hats make a big decision to change course and go for the root of the problem, Crocodile. So the synopsis, as the Straw Hats prepare to leave Yuba to go back the other direction to intercept the rebel army, Luffy then confronts Vivi as to her resolve to do what must be done and go after Crocodile himself. After an emotional confrontation, the crew decide to give up on trying to stop the war and go after the real problem, Crocodile. The Straw Hats make their way to Rain Base but are promptly captured by Crocodile himself. As far as differences go, I am thankful to say there are no differences to really speak of in these episodes, aside from slightly extending the running through the streets of Rain Base um, while running away from the Marines. There's really not much, and there is a small scene of Chopper running into Tashigi that's added in when he runs into her in the alley and then she loses her glasses and whatnot. So that's just a small addition, but other than that, pretty much everything else is pretty faithful to the manga. So, jumping right in, I think one thing I never really noticed until this rewatch is something that Oda does so well, and that is how he manages to always give Luffy some personal connection to each arc. It usually takes the form of one of the citizens or inhabitants of each island. Sometimes they are large players in the story or they're major characters, and if you look across every arc, Luffy always develops a close bond with someone specific to that location and arc. Of course, in this arc, he has Vivi, but at this point, she's pretty much one of them as a straw hat, so Oda has Luffy develop a close bond with Toto in this beginning scene by having Luffy understand what this fight actually means to the people of Alabasta. Luffy generally doesn't care too much about the nuances or the politics of any given island, but what Luffy does care about is people. By having Luffy connect with someone in particular on that island, it serves to get us, the viewer, even more invested in Luffy's victory because it's no longer just the Straw Hats win or winning, but an entire people, and it makes it feel even grander when the conclusion comes around. And something One Piece always does so well is making things just feel so much better bigger. I love that Luffy gets to know Toto while helping him dig for the water and of course the water they dig up is treasured by Luffy and up till now we saw Luffy just drink water willy-nilly and even being wasteful with the water but this water he values more than anything because it represents the hopes and sacrifices of Toto and Alabasta and also Luffy is always just a very grateful person whenever someone gives up food or a gift or something especially if it's food or drink. He becomes very attached to it and respects it quite highly. And I like that little touch. We then transition to the first meeting of the Baroque Works agents and their boss, Crocodile. And as Crocodile's first real introduction into what kind of a villain he is, and it's amazing. He is one of my all-time favorite villains in the entire series, even to this day. And this scene perfectly explains it. His voice, first of all, is intimidating as ever, played expertly by Ryuzaburo Otomo. I love how that insanely deep menacing voice is cool and collected, but as soon as you piss him off, he gets that gruff, terrifying yell. That scene where he gets pissed at Mr. Three, you begin to see just how truly powerful and terrifying he is as a villain, because he just grabs Mr. Three and shrivels him up and dries him out completely. We now have it in our heads that Luffy can't even let this guy touch him, or else it might be game over. And it's such a 
awesome villain intro. And the this villain is a marked step up from any of the past villains we've had. I mean, even Arlong, who was a good villain, doesn't hold a candle to Crocodile. Like, Crocodile is by far the best villain we've seen. Head and shoulders. Like, not only is he bigger, he's more threatening, and he's just more interesting. Like, he's just really interesting to watch in how he thinks and how he goes about his villainy. This first episode so far is really great, but honestly, the part at the end is the best. As they leave Yuba, Luffy seemingly goes into one of his childish fits and just sits down, refusing to move anymore. But this time, he's got a reason. All this pointless traveling has made Luffy see that no matter what they do to stop either side from fighting, it's not going to stop the threat until they get rid of Crocodile, and he needs Bibi to see this. And I love this moment because it shows us once again that Luffy is smarter than he seems. Or his simple-minded thinking just so happens to fit this solution. After a pretty intense tussle with Vivi, Luffy wants her to reevaluate her resolve because Vivi right now is still trying to shoulder all of the burden herself and with the impossible task of trying to save everyone. Luffy then shows her that this approach is naive and will ultimately amount to nothing. But more importantly, he shows her that she is not alone and that she should rely on them. And we finally get Vivi's epic You're My Nakama scene. Every Straw Hat has gotten something similar to this where he explicitly calls him his Nakama and declares it for the first time. And Vivi herself, for the very first time, breaks down crying. In a moment that Oda has actually been building up for like 30 plus episodes ever since Vivi was introduced, she has stifled her pain to keep a strong front in front of everybody since up till now, since Whiskey Peak, she's had to rely on only herself. But for the first time, she has people that she can finally depend on and she lets her guard down in an amazingly emotional scene. And I really love this scene because it's played so well by both actors or actresses. And and the scene is just a great character moment. With that, they all resolve to go after the root of the problem, Crocodile. As Luffy has been saying all along, they just have to beat up Crocodile. So they head to Rain Base. In the next scene, we finally see that Karu has finally arrived in Arubana to deliver Vivi's message to that Crocodile is the one behind all of this to the king and his military commanders, who we are finally properly introduced to as Chaka and Pell. Now, these two guys will have a bigger role later on, but they get a somewhat of an introduction here. At least their name cards show up. This scene where we get to see Cobra's leadership resolve and his selflessness as well as his thought for his people, is incredibly admirable here. I mean, he's prepared to lose his royal status and possibly his life to make sure that Crocodile doesn't succeed. There's not really much to this scene other than I just wanted to mention it because I really like it a lot. It's refreshing to see a king or a government leader act in a way that's in the best interest of its people and not themselves or the elite. I love his philosophy that the country is its people, and even if the royal family and the palace falls, as long as Crocodile is defeated, the people will rebuild. And that's how much faith he has in his people. And that's really refreshing to see in, and even in fiction. Like, because most of the time, kings and governments are shown as very corrupt and selfish entities, like, just like they are in real life. And so it's really refreshing to see a king, in, even if it's just like a, this fantastical fiction, acting like this is really refreshing and I like seeing it. 
Now, getting back to the straw hats, we get the Sanji's Prince joke. Also, just I just have to mention it because obviously it's a setup to a pretty awesome moment later on. But for now, <laughs> the way um, Hiroaki Hirata plays Sanji's reaction to Zoro mockingly calling him Prince is so damn spot on. And I love how he's like yelling from the depths of his soul. It, it's so good and so funny. The way he just yells, Put the bus out of it's just so funny. Once they arrive in Rain Base, Luffy and Usopp just go straight off into town and then they just run right into Smoker and Tashigi in the bar. And there's this funny gag at at the end of this episode where, where they run into the bar and they're all rowdy while Smoker and Tashigi are talking all seriously about the Straw Hats and why they believe they'll show up at Rain Base and Luffy and Usopp are just right behind them. And then eventually they sit right next to them just yelling for food and water and they don't even really look. Until a few seconds later, after they've taken this huge gulp of water, and they both turn to look at Smoker and Tashigi and freak out and just spit huge amounts of water on them. And then they just run off with the water. And then then the cherry on top is the fact that Tashigi being the considerate person she is, she makes sure to pay for not only hers and Smoker's bill, but then she pays for the water that Usopp and Luffy took off with. And it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I really love jokes like this. I Just call me childish or whatnot, but yeah, these jokes are too funny. Also, fun fact, uh, we get a few Pendaman sightings here with one walking right behind the Straw Hats as they reach the rain base. And then we see him again on the face of the slot machines as one of the little icons on the slot machine. After being forced to split up, they make their way to Crocodile's Casino, Rain Dinners, and... <laughs> These names are just ridiculous and promptly get captured by the most obvious trap along with Smoker. I mean, I personally believe no matter which direction they chose, it would have been a trap. But it's just funny that they chose the one specifically marked pirates this way. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the VIP one, I almost guarantee was also a trap. But the fact that logic was the fact that, hey, we're pirates. We should go this way. It's just, obviously it's Luffy being his very simple-minded self, but it also makes for some pretty funny comedy. And here we get our first meeting of Luffy and Crocodile. Although it's behind bars for now, but it's always exciting to see our main hero and villain meet each other for the first time to build up that rivalry and anticipation for their eventual clash. Back outside, Vivi is still fighting off all the millions agents, and at the last minute, is saved by Pell, which is pretty freaking awesome. I love his devil fruit, the Tori Tori no Mi model falcon, or the bird bird fruit. Apparently, it is one of five devil fruit types that have the ability to innately fly. I want to talk about this a little bit more in the spoiler section. However, before they can safely get away, none other than Miss All Sunday herself shows up to secure Vivi. And this fight is pretty one-sided as we finally get to see what her powers are. And it turns out to not be telekinesis like we were led to believe in Whiskey Peak and pulls another switcheroo like he did with Buggy. Her real powers are the... Hanahana no Mi, or the flower flower fruit, which allows her to sprout any part of her body on any surface, which sounds way overpowered, except against those, you know, elemental type fruits. And she shows that very effectively against Pell. Although, I guess against Luffy it would be pretty useless too, since he'd just wiggle and bend his way out. But that finishing move, the clutch she uses on Pell, is freaking brutal. It seemingly breaks his back by bending his back the other way, and Vivi is ultimately captured. 
One side thing I wanted to mention here is that I couldn't help but notice the animation in episode 106 is pretty bad with just lots of unanimated still shots and flat shading and lighting. This whole episode looks like garbage. Like the character models look off a bit for some reason. The animation looks really stilted and in all ways possible it just looks really bad i don't know what happened in 106 but they must have like were they must have been like on a rush or like lost budget or something because it looks terrible in the next scene though we get one of my favorite all-time jokes in the series it's luffy's sanji impression the nikukuto no maika (laughs) were you the one who ate the meat (laughs) that joke His impression is just terrible, but also spot on at the same time. The fact they're all captured with Crocodile right there looming, Luffy is in there cracking jokes, and Usopp just completely eating it up. Nami obviously mad that they don't show a little bit more concern for their situation, as we also see Zoro is napping. But I think this again, like at Little Garden, they're not that worried because they know Bibi, Chopper, and Sanji are still outside to help them. And they don't need to feel worried just yet because it's only a matter of time before one of them comes to help. However, Miss All Sunday brings in Vivi and she's actually allowed to fully attack Crocodile. And we start to see Crocodile's true power with his Nasnanomi or Sand Sand fruit as he's invulnerable against Vivi's headshot and just dissolves away into sand and reforms himself, which is pretty badass and kind of makes you wonder how they're actually going to beat him. But anyway, with most of our heroes captured, Crocodile sits his utopia operation in motion and this is where the episode ends on this pretty crazy cliffhanger with all of them captured but we'll have to see what happens on the next podcast but ooh we at this point most of these episodes end with similar types of these huge cliffhangers that will leave us wanting to see what happens next and i can't wait to talk about the rest of this arc because it is a non-stop thrill ride the rest of the way anyways if you enjoyed this, send me a like or a comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, consider subscribing, please. You can also check out the my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast for updates on when I post new episodes. And yeah, stay tuned for a small spoiler section discussion if you would like. But if not, I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Alrighty, so spoiler sections. Uh, just a couple things that I wanted to talk about, and this will be obviously a little bit more unscripted than the main episode. But first off, I want to talk about Robin's powers. Now, I remember when I first read this moment and I saw Robin's Hanahana no Mi, I thought it was like one of the most overpowered fruits ever. I was like, oh my god, this is a really strong power, and I can understand why the second in command gets this power. But you know, it's funny, like over time, Especially as Robin joins the party, it's like that classic meme where it's like the when when she's a boss, she's like super buff, but and then you get her, you unlock her as a character, and then she just becomes completely useless. You know, the power itself is really strong, and and I know I've talked about this in my like uh, character rankings post, and and it's just like why is her power like not used better i feel like i mean she seems so strong here and this is literally the strongest we i think we ever see her i mean maybe there's a few times where her powers seem really strong 
And the fact that like post time skips, you can use it to create complete clones is like really cool. And yet it still feels like Robin's one of the weaker members of this of the crew. And I always hated that. Like I remember seeing this potential. It's just like, man, Robin is strong. And now she's joining the crew at the end of this arc. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And so I was like really excited about that. But but then it's just sort of like nothing ever really came of it. And Robin always just kind of gets pushed off to the side, unfortunately. But yeah, I was always a little, I, I just wanted to mention just like how amazed I was when I first saw this uh, originally, and then how disappointed I am now at like what, where the power is now. And then the other little small thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into the main thing I wanted to talk about was the, the fact that Nami kind of sh- foreshadows how Crocodile will lose. She has that little throwaway line about him being blasted into the clouds. And sure enough, that's what happens at the end. Luffy does his Gomu Gomu no Storm and beats him through the concrete into the sky and he gets launched hella high into the air and he gets blasted above the clouds and that's how he ends up losing so i i don't know if that was an intentional foreshadow but i thought that was pretty cool and i never noticed that until i did this rewatch okay so the main topic that i wanted to talk about in the spoiler section is that one comment by pell about the fact that there are only five known flying devil fruits And so up till now, and this would be chapter 1011 is up to this date that I have read, and that's how much it's been out. We have, obviously, we have Pell's Tori Tori no Mi model uh, Falcon, and then we have Smoker's Moku Moku no Mi. I think, I mean, that one's a little bit debatable, but Smoker, I feel like, can fly. Um... I don't know if like he has to kind of like stay on the ground or at least part of him has to stay on the ground or if he can just completely fly. And then we have one for sure who's Marco with his mythical zone, the the Tori Tori no Mi model Phoenix. And so he can clearly fly. Then we have um, from the movies, but is still considered canon, is Shiki, who has the Huafonomi or the float float fruit. He can obviously float through the sky. I don't know if floating and flying are the same thing, but they're essentially the same to me. They have the same functionality. Um, and then from the Dressrosa, we have Buffalo, one of, um, you know, Doflamingo's officers. We have, he has the Gurugurunomi, the propeller uh, fruit. And so he can fly as well as we see him flying all over the place with with Baby Five on his back and everything. And then we have Caesar with his Gasugas no Mi or Gas Gas fruit. And he can clearly fly as well as we've seen him in multiple occasions fly across um, in both Whole Cake Island and in Punk Hazard. And then speaking of Dressrosa, we have two other ones, the two Mushimushi no Mi or Bug Bug fruits in the um, Totata clan people. We have the um, the Kabutomushi or the Rhino Beetle and the Suzumebachi, which is the uh, Hornet. And so we have both of those models of the bug bug fruit and so they can both fly as well and then obviously you know we're getting into a lot more spoiler territory in the wano arc we have kaido who has the mythical zone the uonomi or fish fish fruit i guess model seiryu or dragon and or eastern dragon i guess i should say and then we have his um his general you know king who has the ryuryu no mi or the dinosaur dinosaur fruit uh model patera pterodon pterodon um man those all those dinosaur fruits are really hard to say and then you know obviously pell wouldn't know about this one but they have the artificial dragon fruit 
that Momonosuke has that can also he can also fly just like Kaido can. And so even if you take away like some of the more questionable ones like Smoker and Shiki, I mean you still have what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight like real fruits that can already fly. And with Momonosuke added, and then if we add back in Smoker and uh, Shiki, we have, what, 11 fruits that can fly? But you know, it's funny. Even though it's more than five, I've, because like, I never actually like counted up until I decided to do the research for this. I thought there were more that could fly, to be quite honest. Like, I thought there were way more than this. But I mean, the fact that he's only off by like, I guess, half is pretty good but it's still it's still funny i feel like that five gnome flying fruits is just the line that oda threw in for world building but ended up just obviously you know because he thought the story wasn't gonna go this long and so i'm sure he didn't think of that many more fruits and so he kind of like set his limit there but then obviously he wanted more fruits so you know we got that but it's just interesting to see this line come up and then just sort of like take um stock of like what are the flying fruits and so, yeah, this was a pretty fun fun research exercise to go back through the entire series and see which which fruits can actually inherently fly. I mean, you have like you have other fruits that can kind of fly like buggy, you know, as long as his feet are on the ground, the rest of his body can fly, which is interesting to see. Um, but yeah, it is it is weird to see that. But anyways, that's all I really wanted to talk about. And so, yeah, thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye.